You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we're, uh, we're closing out a series we started at uh, the beginning of this month called Living in the Shadows. And what we've been talking about throughout this month is this idea, this guy from, from, the, from the New Testament, the Gospels, his name was John the Baptist, and how he made this statement that I must become lesser and he must become greater, speaking of Jesus. And we've been talking about living in the shadows and what it means to live in the shadows is that we live in the shadow knowing that there's a light that is greater, and that is Jesus. That we aren't trying to find the spotlight, but we're, we're willing to take, uh, take our spot in the middle of the shadow, the shadow of, of one who is greater. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this place before, but uh, have you ever found yourself among a group of people where you felt incredibly insecure? Some of you might be like, I feel that way now. Let me just put you at ease. I am the most you know, uh, incapable person ever, so if you think you're insecure, don't worry. Um, you're probably better at some stuff than I am. But um, have you ever found yourself among those type of people? When, when I was in Bible college, there was this class that they had called homiletics. Um, now, homiletics is a class where, where, where students learn how to preach. And there's two levels of it, homiletics one, homiletics two, at least in my school. And homiletics one, you learn how to write a sermon, not style, but really structure and intent and like what, what you're really trying to accomplish. And, and then homiletics two, you actually preach. Now, when you had to preach, in, in my homiletics two class, I, pre- I got to preach twice. It was the most intimidating experience in my entire life. Here's, here's kind of what happened. In homiletics two, you'd have this sermon prepared and then you get up in front of your class to preach it. Now that's intimidating by itself, but everyone in your class, like every other classmate in your class, plus your professor, while you're preaching would have an evaluation form. And while you're preaching, they're literally evaluating you. That's intimidating. The worst part was at the end of your sermon, then the professor would open up the floor and people would be able to give you like real time, immediate feedback. So not only would you get the written feedback evaluation forms, but you'd, like, they'd have to say stuff to your face. And you'd have to stand up there in front of everyone and take it. And usually people were pretty kind, but it was amazing, incredibly intimidating. Uh, and, and when we would preach, I remember preaching, as I mentioned, twice. I'd be so incredibly nervous. I, I stumbled over some of my words. I, I, I tried to like not make eye contact with people because I didn't want that to be an awkward situation when they told me like, you're really bad. Or I, I'd, I'd struggle trying to figure out like, where am I going? Because I get nervous and, 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 and uh, wouldn't quite know what to say or to do. And, and I wanted to do things the right way. I also didn't want to be an embarrassment. And I didn't want to be the one labeled like that was the worst sermon of the semester. You never want to have that label on you. The pressure was very real. It was tangible. At times it was paralyzing to stand in front of that whole class knowing that every word I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, what I'm going to do is gonna be picked apart by people who are learning how to do this. Now the reality is, uh, we don't all get to preach in front of a, a class like that, but we all have insecurities in different areas of our lives. Some may be more evident than others, but, but those insecurities are part of being a human being. I believe those insecurities, though, are magnified when we're in an environment where what we're doing is closely watched or where we find ourselves in a group of people or surrounded by people who, who uh, seem to be, we feel that we're inferior to, that, that, that are better than us or, or greater than us at something. Maybe you've been there uh, when you, know, you start a new job. Maybe when you're trying to correct your kids in public, there's nothing more uh, 
difficult than that, or, or maybe that first date you go on with someone, or, or when you're getting ready to do a presentation that's really important for your job and your career. All these times we feel insecure, and you see, when the pressure is on, the insecurities can rise up within us. And those insecurities affect how we respond to things, how we process what's happening around us, and even what we're willing to step out and try and step out and do. As a side note, for those of you who are in a relationship or, or who are married, Here's a, a kind of a quick application to this idea of our insecurities. Most of the arguments you and your spouse or your partner get into are surrounding insecurities. Large majority of them. It might be your insecurities. It might be their insecurities or a combination of the two. This is because when it feels like your insecurities are being realized or exposed, we shift into this kind of defense mode. And that defensive posture can cause us to get angry can cause us to, to clam up, and some can even cause us to get really discouraged. And, and if you want to improve how you handle conflict in your relationship or in your marriage, I'd encourage you to become more self-aware of your own insecurities and less judgmental about your partner's insecurities. Because while in the moment your partner's insecurities might really frustrate you, the truth is you have them too. And, and, and on top of that, no one else can be responsible for your own insecurities. Only you can. God hasn't entrusted that responsibility to your spouse or your partner. That's your, your responsibility. And if you can be more aware of your insecurities, what you end up doing is you end up catching it off at the past before you react or overreact when, when those insecurities seem to be realized. And for all of us, our insecurities can become barriers or handcuffs that keep us from ever experiencing and exercising our giftings, our passions, and what, what Pastor Michael talked about last week, our calling. It's because our insecurity is essentially a sense of fear that our failures, our shortcomings, or our inadequacies are going to be discovered. Can, can you take a second and look at your neighbor real quick and say, I'm not perfect? You say it. It's good, to, it's good for you. Get it out. I'm not perfect. Now, now turn to the person on the other side and, and tell them, I'm glad you're not perfect. Now, isn't it wonderful to go to a church where there are no perfect people? This is true, but in our insecurities, we feel this pressure to keep up a front that we have to be perfect, that we have it all together. In church, this is magnified a hundred times. We put on these masks, these fake faces that we act like everything's great. But, but here's the truth. If everything was great, then why would we need Jesus? Why would we need God? I heard someone say this recently, that people were bemoaning about why are there hypocrites in church and all of that. And, and uh, the same question would be asked about uh, a fitness center. You know, if you go to a fitness center, uh, are all the people at the fitness center in perfect shape? No, that's why they're there, right? If, if, if we get all worked up that there are hypocrites or imperfect people in church, that's why we're here. That's what, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It means we work through that stuff. We're, we're insecure. But because of that insecurity, we allow the fear to hold us back. And that fear has kept a lot of great people from doing some really great things. I would venture to guess it's kept some of you today from pursuing things that God has clearly put on your heart. Maybe it's inviting that one person to church that you've been praying for for a long time. Maybe it's going on a Calvary Cares trip. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's starting a nonprofit or pursuing that new career or, 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 or talking to your boss about that one idea or that, that, that concept you had. 
You see, insecurity causes us to shift into safe mode. Safe mode's that mode that the computer goes into when, when it fears something bad's about to happen. It, it kind of goes into that mode when something is wrong. In safe mode, a computer strips back the capability to ultimately protect it from harm. And when our insecurities strap us, we kick into safe mode and limit the potential and capability that we possess simply for the sake of not failing. Well, for, for, for us trying to avoid being hurt or, or, or seeing this fear that we have be realized. And we, 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 we pull back. Now, let me fast forward a little bit my story to, uh, from my college years to, to uh, July 31st of 2011. Uh, at this point, I've been out of Bible college about six and a half years. And July 31st that day was a Sunday. And, and similar to what I was doing in my homiletics class, I was preaching that morning. And uh, that morning, I was actually preaching here at Calvary. But this wasn't just a regular Sunday or regular day. Because that evening, uh, the church was gathering to vote uh, whether or not Heidi and I would be the next lead pastors here at Calvary. And uh, man, I was scared, frightened, worried, all of those things, uh, all bunched up. And that morning, as we're sitting here, uh, anxious about what's gonna happen, um, things started to take place that took my insecurities from here to like boiling point. Right in the middle of the worship service, so we're worshiping and everything, there's a medical emergency right in the middle of the sanctuary. One of the board members gets up and kind of calms everyone down. Ambulance is called, paramedics come in, take that person to the hospital. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've never seen that happen before. I've been in church my entire life, never seen that happen. This is gonna be an interesting morning. So that's all taken care of, service moves on, I get up to preach. Now, this isn't just like another sermon or message, like they're gonna vote on this. Talk about intimidating. Like if I say the wrong things, if I mention something too often, like the fact that I like Taco Bell, maybe they'll think I'm really cheap and be like, we don't want a pastor who eats Taco Bell. We want a Chipotle pastor. And I'll be like, oh man, I'm gonna be in trouble. <laughs> I, I, you never know, you know? Like this, is, this is a lot of pressure, okay? I'm just being honest with you. And so I'm trying to say all the right things. I'm not, not manipulate, but I wanna like be true, but I also don't wanna be so nervous where I'm fumbling over my words. And right at the beginning of my message, the unthinkable happens. Another second medical emergency. Someone's sitting over here. They call an ambulance. More paramedics come. Take them to the hospital. It was the craziest day I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen anything like this happen. It was insane. And, and talk about insecurities. My insecurities were off the charts. Uh, this, this, was, this was like the worst fear you could ever think would happen. You have everything played out in your mind and what's going to happen. And like not a wrench, but it was like a whole toolbox was just dumped, you know, right in front of me. Uh, right in the middle of the message, right in the middle of the message, everything kind of takes place. Now, uh, to, to, to let you know, uh, both people ended up being okay. In fact, Bill is right here today. He was one of the guys. So everyone's was, everyone was okay. So don't think like anything horrible happened that day in that sense. Um, but it was a really eventful morning. And at that point, I was ready to throw in the towel. Things were getting crazy. I was like, Either God, you're about to do something really cool or you are doing everything in your power to keep me from doing it. All these fears that I would look like a total failure, that I would be embarrassment to my new wife and family, that people would see through the facade and realize I actually have no idea what I'm doing. All of that came rushing to the surface. Now, not to be a spoiler, but if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, this wonderful congregation, mostly made up of older folks at that point, uh, took a chance on this young kid with very little experience and elected Heidi and I that evening 
to be the next lead pastors at Calvary. So just to be a spoiler, that's what happened, okay? <laughs> but, but here's the deal. I learned something about insecurity that day that helped me significantly and it's helped me over the last 11 and a half years here at Calvary. It, it's this, it, because if you haven't figured out, you know, insecurities don't go away. Like there isn't a point where your insecurities just disappear, like they just vap, uh, vaporize or, or disappear. I still have the fear that I'm gonna look like a total failure, that I'm going to be an embarrassment to my wife or my family, and that all of you might actually discover this idea that I have no idea what I'm doing. I just get up here and talk. There's this fear, but while those insecurities don't necessarily go away, there is something that helps us move forward and overcome those insecurities. It's not success, it's not notoriety or fame, it's not even progress. It's because in those insecure moments, when it feels like everyone is watching you, when the pressure is high and you are never more aware of your shortcomings, there's this incredible antidote to insecurity that we see lived out in the story of John the Baptist and later by Jesus. The antidote to our insecurities is is being reminded who you are. That's simple, who you are. That affirmation, that declaration, that confession has a remarkable way of diminishing the impact that our insecurities can have on us. And this is a simple idea I wanna share with you this morning just briefly. is An affirmation of who we are transforms the expression of what we do. When we have an awareness of who we are, it changes what we are willing to do and what we even try to do. Now, we've been talking about John the Baptist throughout this month, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, and, and this was a man that was born to a couple that couldn't have kids. His very birth defied the odds and was a remarkable miracle as his parents were well beyond the normal age of having a child when he was born. As he grew up, he stepped into this remarkable calling to proclaim God's word in this very unique, incredibly abnormal way. But as he did that, he was fulfilling prophecies that were made about him. That what we talked about last week, he was stepping into his divine calling. And in spite of the fact that there were prophets that spoke about John's life hundreds of years earlier, Uh, and that he was watching God do remarkable things through his ministry, do you know he still had insecurities? Listen to this interaction he had in what essentially would be the pinnacle of his entire life. Like his entire life, his soul's life story was really building toward this one moment. And it's recorded in Matthew's gospel, chapter three. We're starting in verse 13. Here's here's what it says. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, the whole story of John's life, he's called John the what? Baptist. He's called John the Baptist. Like, this is what he does. And, and, And he's been building not just to baptize people. All the prophecies, everything written about John, talked about John, was John would lead the way, usher in the Messiah, which was Jesus. Like, this is the moment he's been waiting for. John's purpose, his calling, his reason for being was to usher in this moment. And here it is, the moment everything had been building toward. And this is where John embraces the moment, steps into this theoretical stage to do what he was made to do. Like this is what he was made for. But no, he questions the moment. His humility and some insecurity caused him to step back. Listen to what he said in verse 14. John replied to him, Trying to, John tried to uh, deter him by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
you're the Messiah, you're the son of God, like you're a bigger deal than me, I shouldn't be baptizing you. In other words, who am I that I should baptize you? You're much bigger of a deal. You're greater than I am. But then, then Jesus affirms who John was. He affirms who he was. Verse 15, Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I, I love how this says it in the, in the message. Uh, in the message, uh, that same verse, it says, but Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. What Jesus was doing was saying, listen, John, you were made for this. He was affirming who he was. Then there's this, uh, then here's what's so cool about this moment. Not only did, did John be reminded of who he was, but Jesus in his affirming John is reminded who he was. In verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, with him, I am well pleased. Jesus is now affirmed by the Father. Now, two things are really cool about this story. This is one of the only moments in scripture we see all three persons of the Trinity present. The Father speaking over Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Remarkable moment. Number two, baptism is so important. Here's what's amazing about this. If you study this whole passage here, Jesus stepped into something he didn't need. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, meaning you repent from something you've done wrong, right? Jesus had never done wrong. He was sinless. He was perfect in every way. Why in the world would he step into a baptism of repentance? It wasn't because he needed to repent. It's because he was setting an example for us that we should follow. And if you're like, man, I've been living for Jesus. I don't need to get baptized. Look at what Jesus modeled for us. If Jesus needed to do it, that public profession of I'm doing this, I'm committing my life to God, then we, 2,000 years later, can still do that. What an incredible reminder. And this affirmation of the Father to Jesus becomes the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus didn't begin his ministry until this point. He, he, he's baptized and then he steps into his ministry. He starts calling his disciples, doing the miraculous. And, and we have this like gap of Jesus's life from when he was a child to, to now. Why? Because the affirmation of who he was by the Father kicked off his ministry. For you, the affirmation of who God has made you and who you are affects what you do. John stepped into this, his, his moment because of Jesus's affirmation and Jesus uh, Jesus is affirmed because he had done the same for John. Now, why are we talking about this today? Here, here's the question, like, what's the big deal? Is this just about like, us may, feeling better and having like, warm fuzzies on the inside, like you're a somebody, and, and even when you don't feel like a somebody, God thinks you're a somebody, and God doesn't make no junk, and, and you feel better about yourself, and you can go home and, and be like, I feel warm and fuzzy, and let's go do whatever. That's not what we're talking about here. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement, and I love John 10.10, because Jesus is basically giving us, in one sentence, kind of a synopsis of what he sees for your life, how he views your life. Here's what he says in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and Jesus is kind of uh, 
contradict, kind of sharing two opposite sides here of what, what can happen to your life and what's happening in your life. The thief, the enemy of our souls, Satan, he's trying to steal your future. He's trying to steal your purpose. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, but here's what I've come to do. I didn't come to steal. Here's what I've come. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I love this statement because Jesus could have stopped at life. He could have said, I have come that they may have life, period. And be like, yes, that's it. But he didn't. He said, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. God's desire for you, his dream for your life, isn't that you would just make it through life, but that you would experience life to the full. Like that you were born with this incredible measure of potential. So appropriate today on this dedication Sunday that we talk about the potential. The Bible says in one, Psalm 139 that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. That God created you with this incredible measure of potential. I don't care what teachers have said about you, parents, grandparents, people in your life who've said you are nothing or worthless or, or any of that. I don't care because their word doesn't matter. Your creator's word matters. He's the one that shaped you and formed you. He's the one that made you. And he said, I have life and life to the full. When we hear from heaven God's affirmation of us for that, that, that God has given us this full life, this expression, we can step into our potential. And, and when we hear that affirmation, we step into our potential, here's the reality. Nothing can stop us. The, the world is flipped upside down. The brokenness in our world is made whole. The impossible becomes possible when we step into God's potential for us. Every single one of you today, you have potential that is limitless. That's not because of me. That's not because of your internal drive. That's not because you have this abstract force inside of you. It's because you have a creator. And that creator is, is God. And there is a God, this God that formed you and shaped you and made you for greatness. But that greatness is shielded from you because of your insecurities. Your insecurities strap you. They handcuff you. Insecurities become the chains that bind you from living what Jesus said, a full life. You'll never experience it if you're not aware of your insecurities. As the worship team comes today, today, here's my desire. Today, we're gonna break the chains. Today, we're stepping into our potential. Today, we're not going to be held back any longer. It's time, church, that we defy the devil and transform our world. It's time we stop taking this weak approach as followers of Jesus and saying, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's possible. If we can understand the full life, the potential God has given us, we don't have to be bound by those insecurities any longer. We can step into it. We can step into what God has for us. Because an affirmation of who we are transforms the expression of what we do. It's time we are reminded who we are and why we are. And what we are going to do, I believe as a church, as a community of faith, what we are going to do is nothing short of miraculous. Over these last few months, I've been hearing stories in our church of people being healed, of people walking into our church that never dreamt they'd be in church, of, of people committing their lives to Jesus. But we've had more people commit their lives to Jesus in these last three months than we've had in the previous three years. This isn't happening because we're that awesome or, or even that I'm that awesome. It's because of a revelation, an affirmation of who we are. We will only step into the miraculous when we remember who we are and what we were created to do. And in a minute, we're gonna close in just a worship song, kind of a reflection and a, and a, and a centering of who we are. But I wanna remind you, because sometimes we forget. 
who we are in Christ. Sometimes we have all these ideas of who we are, but I wanna look at the Bible real quick. And I wanna give you a list of, this is who you are in Christ. You in Christ are every single one of these things, not short of one of them. That you are a child of God. You belong to God. You have been justified by him. You are Christ's friend. You are a citizen of heaven. You are chosen before the creation of the world. You are holy and blameless. You are adopted as his child. You are victorious. You are born again. You are a new creation. You are delivered. You are set free. You've been brought near to God through Christ's blood. You have peace. You have access to the Father. You are a member of God's household. You are secure. And you can approach God with freedom and confidence. That's who you are. And, 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 and the truth is, so often, if we're not careful, we can forget who we are because we get so focused on what we're doing. But today, I think it's important for us to step back to remember who you are, who God made you to be, who he fearfully and wonderfully shaped you into. You aren't an accident. You aren't a waste of space. You are a gift of God to this world. And, and when our insecurities, when they begin to strap us and chain us and handcuff us, we become a shell. We fulfill what Jesus said in John 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But today, I'm just telling you, declaring, speaking over you, the day is over. The chains are broken. The future is bright, not because of me, not because of you, but because of him. He came 2,000 years ago to die. And we talk about living in the shadows. Here's the challenge. Sometimes in the shadows, our insecurities overtake us because we think we're, we're nothing, we're insignificant. But, but it's not about that. Security isn't about our significance. It's about the one that is significant. It's him. And he created you and shaped you. And your, your value, your worth, your being is because of our creator. And he made you that way. And those chains don't have to bind you any longer. Those chains don't have to hold you back any longer. God has a future for you. And it's bigger and greater. I love the verse. It says that he is going to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could think, ask, or even imagine. Imagine. Those are things that are beyond even our conception, our idea, what we can even conjure up. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, even more than that, through you. But all of that demands that we're willing and that we're aware of who we are. So before we go today, I'm gonna ask everyone just to stand. I wanna sing this song together. <clears throat> now, I don't know what kind of background you're from or church background you're from. And Maybe for you, like there's, there's, you know, certain times you do certain things in church and all of that, and, and, and worship for you is just kind of another part of that service. But, but here's, here's here, I just want to kind of frame this and give you this perspective. Worship isn't so much about filling space. It's about filling you. Like this is an opportunity for you, just you and God, to kind of have that time together. And as we sing this song together, this isn't just about listening and, and observing and watching and saying, wow, that's cool, this is neat. This is about you and God. This is a, this is a, a connection with you and God. Say, God, I want to be reminded who I am. God, I need to be reminded what you've called me to. God, my insecurities have held me back. God, God there are so many reasons why I could do the, the whole 
you know, pros and cons of all these things that you've put on my heart and the cons far outweigh the pros. There's one thing that's on the pro side that we forget sometimes and it's God. He, he created it all and, and he made you, he created you. And if he's called you to something, I don't care how insecure or fearful you might be, he'll see you through it. And, and as we sing this song together, this isn't about a performance, this isn't about like just filling space, this is about you and God being reminded, God, who have you made me to be and what are you calling me to do? Let's sing this song together this morning. If you feel comfortable, just put your hands out in front of you. God, move, I pray, in us this morning. Have your way, Jesus. Let's sing this song together. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.